I invite you now to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And the words to which I would call your attention this morning come to us from Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. As we read the Holy inerrant and infallible word of God, we do so as an act of worship. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, for you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorying, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised... He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, we come this morning reading your word, a divinely inspired word, not a manly word, a word that has been given you by the work of your Holy Spirit through men that you chose to delight in you, to reveal your glory and wisdom and power to your people. We ask now for the work of your Spirit. Let us not be hearers of this word only, but doers of it. Father, ignite our faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, birth announcements are usually uh, joyful things. Uh, Some of you maybe have received or given or seen someone give a, a pair of uh, booties uh, to a, a, a set of grandparents or parents. Some of you maybe have taken uh, pictures of yourself holding a sonogram uh, up maybe in front of your belly. Uh, anyway, many different ways of announcing uh, birth and taking joy in birth. Some families are moved to tears over the gift of life. Some of my favorite ones are maybe the helium balloons that are filled with a certain color ribbon that when they're uh, punched with a needle, the balloon, instead of exploding, floats off into air. 
and the gender remains a mystery. Uh, for some, for some, bringing life into this world is, in, is a non-negotiable thing. You won't do it. Maybe you're amongst the people who say, there's no way I would bring a child into this world. I, I actually hear that often. People who say, I'm not having children Can you imagine a more torturous thing than to have a baby in our day? But as we consider the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that God himself would cause his eternal son to be born in one of the darkest moments in human history, not only should it encourage you for the moment, uh, this is intended to encourage you for all eternity. As we, as we get into this text, we, we ought to notice that it perhaps could be divided if you, if you think similarly to me, you see these things in your mind, you can see it maybe divided into two acts. And we have the first act where these shepherds are gathered in the Judean hill country and the angel appeared to them. And then in the second act where the, the shepherds hastily went to see the holy family in the city of Bethlehem. These are the way that we could break uh, the text up. I want to ask you to approach it in, in maybe a little bit of a different way as we consider what's happening here, what's being portrayed to us here, what's being taught. In other words, when Luke has Theophilus in his mind, the, the man to whom he wrote this whole gospel, what's he asking him to think about and believe? And I would suggest to you that it's, it's this point that That at his birth, Christ, the eternal Son of God, manifested his glory. He gave a sign to his people, and he revealed the good news of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ, at his birth, manifested his glory. He gave a sign to his people and revealed the good news of the gospel. We notice in verse 8, as we come here, we're, we're transitioned by Luke from that place of the birth of Christ where he was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in that manger in the city of Bethlehem. We're transitioned suddenly to out in the hill country somewhere of Judea. We're, we're outside of Bethlehem in, those, uh, in, in the same region. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. In that same region is where this scene takes place. We are in that rocky and craggy hill country of Judea. The same place, remember, where, where David, King David, shepherded, shepherded his own flocks. It's where we are now transported. When did this take place? Well, sometime, maybe the same night of his birth, but at least sometime within those first eight days after the birth of Christ. And as we consider then this scene, the first thing that we notice is that Christ manifested his glory in verses 8 to 11 and then in verse 13. Christ manifested his glory. Our scene, 
of Act 1 opens upon an encampment of shepherds. These were literally, in, in the King James Version, men who are abiding outside. They, they literally live outside. So as you're thinking of, of what's happening in your mind's eye, you see these shepherds on perhaps this hillside. There's, a, there's an outcropping of hills, hills where they can, there's, there's grass growing where they can, they can feed their sheep and watch over their sheep. Perhaps they have chosen uh, a place where they can easily watch them and guard and protect them from predators. Uh, but these were outdoorsy men. They lived outside. So this is an encampment. Perhaps we see them there at night. Maybe there's a small fire burning. And you've got the ones who had been uh, chosen to take the night shift to watch over the flocks by night while perhaps some of the other shepherds went and lay down and caught some sleep until their shift came up. They were literally keeping watch over their, or they were keeping watch over their flock by night. Literally, Luke makes an interesting turn of phrase. He says they are guarding a guard of the night. It's the same phrase that we might use of a prison guard. They're watching the flock, guarding it. They're on the alert for predators to defend their flocks, perhaps having gathered them in somewhat so that it's easier to protect them. Some suggest that the presence of the shepherds here in Bethlehem at this time uh, means it was impossible for this to have taken place in December. There wouldn't have been grass to eat. Uh, Some suggest that these are the sheep that are reserved for sacrifice and would be taken some five miles north uh, to be offered in the temple at the temple sacrifice. The truth is that we simply don't know, and apparently none of the evangelists inspired by the Holy Spirit thought it was important for us to know any of those details. Every single month of the year has been suggested as the month of Jesus' birth. The reason we don't know, dear friends, is because God does not want us to know. Perhaps because he knows how much of a tendency we have to make holy days out of those that aren't. Nonetheless, the shepherds are there feeding their sheep and now guarding them. It is into this scene in verse 9, notice that the angel appeared. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Suddenly, out of nowhere, you can picture these men standing around their flocks, perhaps strategically placed. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a a man appeared among them. There's no reason at this point to think that Gabriel, if, if indeed this was Gabriel, and it probably was, that he appeared to them in any other appearance than an ordinary man. Uh, Just as those same messengers came to Abraham uh, to announce to him that God would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, they were simple nomads. Here, this man stands before them to proclaim a message to them. But notice something spectacular. The glory 
of Yahweh shone around them. This was not a nightlight. This was not a small beam of light. This was not uh, the start of the uh, USS Enterprise beaming up his men. When Luke records this light, there's only, other, only one other place where Luke uses this same terminology. It's in Acts chapter 26, verse 13. We read in Paul's conversion story, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Luke uh, will describe this in Paul's words as a light that caused them at midday to put their hands over their faces to shield their eyes. Suddenly the night became brighter than noonday to them. On the one hand, at one moment, they are hovering around the fire, perhaps, and and trying to see predators on the landscape using the light from the fire, or perhaps their torches, and then suddenly they are overcome by a light brighter than anything they've ever seen. And suddenly, the whole hillside is visible. Every blade of grass could be seen. This was God's glorious presence among these Men, the shepherds reacted, didn't they? How would you react? You're shielding your eyes and there before you, you see this man who wasn't there a moment before saying something to you and you're, you're trying to look and are we under attack? Is this an invasion? Well, what is this? And the shepherds literally feared a great fear. They've gone from guarding the night guard to fearing a great fear. The angel spoke to them. Notice these blessed words. Don't be afraid. Behold, I bring good news. Christ the Lord is born. Although there's every reason for these men, and if you and I were there, for us to be terribly afraid, It would have been right for Gabriel to say, you men, oh sinners, oh sons of Adam, you should be afraid, and in fact, you are not half as afraid as you ought to be in the presence of Yahweh. But instead, he opened his mouth and he said to those shepherds, don't be afraid. I've come to you to bring good news and immediately our minds are taken back and we think of all of those precious promises. You think of Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. And then the words in Isaiah 49, go up, not just on any mountain, go up on a high mountain, on the highest mountain, that is Zion, the city of God, God's mountain, and proclaim to whoever will listen there, a herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, 
O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. The incarnation of Christ is good news to you. It is good news to all mankind. The final epoch of human history is upon us. It was an epoch and is an epoch of salvation and redemption to God's people. It is a time when our our fear and our trembling over the fact that we are sinners and worthy of His condemnation has been turned now into joy and worship. The ingathering of men from all nations has begun and the door is now open to you. Will you come to Him? Will you embrace this good news? Will you listen to the One who even now is crying out to you and says, come, come to Me. Little lambs, come and let Me comfort you. Will you know His salvation and peace? The brilliance of this scene continued. After the announcement and that moment that they were flooded with, uh, with light, suddenly there appeared before them a heavenly host. Read with me in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What is this host? What is this multitude, this many angels that appeared with him? These are the armies of God who surrounded his throne. The same term is used in Exodus of Pharaoh's armies. Luther, Martin Luther, wrote a song that includes these words, Lord Saba oath his name. And just being honest, there have been many times that I've sung that song and sung of Lord Saba oath and had no idea who Lord Saba oath was. Is this a misprint? Is it a, a misspelling of the term Sabbath? And it isn't. When we sing of Lord Saba oath, We are singing of the one who sits on his throne and commands multitudes of armies of angelic beings. In 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 19, when the prophet Micaiah comes before uh, Ahab to open his mouth in truth, he says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left Daniel, the book to which we continue coming back, says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. You can't help but think of Mark's description of the transfigured Christ. 
His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And this, a thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. This heavenly army, this multitude appeared to these shepherds saying over and over and over again, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Glory on God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. I hope that as you take all of this in, you recognize even Michelangelo with his brilliant brush could not paint this scene on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It's too brilliant. It's too glorious even to take into your heart what is happening here. These shepherds, these humble men are caught up to the throne room of God where they behold His glory and where all of His hosts are arrayed to proclaim to these nothings of the world that God has come to save His people. This scene is reminiscent of, of Isaiah 6 when Isaiah is humbled before the throne of God and say, says, I am a man with unclean lips and I have live amongst a people with unclean lips. This is a scene reminiscent, reminiscent of Revelation 4 where the angels cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Friends, this is no meager light. These shepherds behold the glory of Christ in His throne. This Judean hillside for a moment resembled the throne room of the very living God. And so the question that comes up for us is a very natural one. Why on earth the shepherds? Why would God choose these smelly men who live outside, who amongst many in Israel would not even have been allowed to sit on a jury because they're untrustworthy? Why would He choose them? Well, some suggest that the reason is they were the impoverished men. These were lowly men. They're despised by those around them. And so we remember the promise that the good news would be proclaimed to the poor. Isn't this a sign? Jesus said to John the Baptist's disciples that the poor had the good news proclaimed to them. It's a picture, certainly, of Christ Himself, who according to Isaiah 53 was despised and rejected of men. He, he himself could fit in with these shepherds. And certainly, beginning with the lowest class of people, we understand that when the angel said that this is good news for all people, he means all classes of people. He didn't come to the rich, thereby saying to the poor, you must come up to them for this to be good news to you. No, this is good news for all. Allow me to suggest to you perhaps an alternate picture. That coming to the shepherds is a picture. It is a picture of the judgment against Israel. 
and of God's work to restore. As you do a little word search in the Old Testament and search for the word shepherd, one of the things that you'll notice is that it happens a lot. Especially in the period leading up to Israel's captivity and to God's redemption. One of the repeated phrases, especially in the book of Jeremiah, is God's judgment on the leaders of Israel calling them over and over and over and over again unfaithful shepherds. Just to give you a sample, Ezekiel chapter 34, the whole chapter is good here, but let me read to you just a few verses beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. God uses the imagery over and over and over to condemn the faithless shepherds. And so what is this? Why wouldn't God appeal to the Pharisees or the religious leaders or the kings of this time? Because they were faithless And yet, what is the first thing that Luke tells you about these shepherds? They are guarding their sheep. God came to faithful shepherds to declare that now He, as the faithful shepherd, will gather His sheep. We read God goes on in Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep. I myself will make them lie down. 
declares the Lord God, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. By choosing these humble shepherds, God is declaring that this time has come. And the blessed picture of our Lord is this. Behold, the Lord comes in Isaiah 40 with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. What glory does Christ manifest in coming to the shepherds? Well, this glory. That now the good shepherd has come. And now the work of gathering his people from all nations has begun. A second thing we see from this is that Christ gave a sign in verse 12. The angel declared to the shepherds, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Each time that Gabriel spoke, a temporary sign of the power of God was given to Zechariah. He was caused to be mute. He couldn't speak until his son was circumcised and he named him John to Mary. A sign was given. Your kinswoman is pregnant in her old age. And Mary, uh, believing that sign, went to see her and her faith was bolstered to the shepherds. This simple sign that they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid there in a manger was a sign to them of God's faithfulness to His promise. God, as your faithful shepherd knows your weakness. Just as he knew the weakness of these men and sought to bolster their faith, God always gives a sign of his faithfulness to Noah. He set a bow in the clouds reminding him of God's promise. To Abraham, circumcision served as a daily sign of God's faithfulness. And to us... Baptism has replaced circumcision not as a sign of our profession, beloved. It is a sign to you of God's faithfulness to His covenant. And God bolstered the shepherd's confidence in His promise of good news to all men in this simple display that they could go to a literal place and find a literal baby laid in a literal manger. And they did. And in this we see the infinite wisdom and eternal love of our triune God At the same time He is providing deliverance for His people, He also condescends to your weakness. Many times we question God's timing or the circumstances that He leads us 
through? Why isn't my house selling now when I want it to? Why can't I get this job? Why am I not able to have a child at this moment? Why can't I have it now? Why must I endure this pain? What am I supposed to learn? And the simple answer to you is this. God wants you to learn to trust Him. To trust Him. Simply trust Him. Christ revealed His glory. He manifested His glory. He gave them a sign to bolster their faith. And thirdly, Christ's revelation was proclaimed to Joseph and Mary in verses 15 to 20. We notice in verse 15, when the angels went away from them, as suddenly as they came, they departed. And they went back to the darkness of that hillside. The shepherds talked amongst one another, saying, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. Perhaps the quickest decision a group of men has ever made. Uh, These shepherds decided to go to Bethlehem to see this sign. Having arrived there, they revealed the good news that had been received by them, that had been revealed to them by the angel. And many of those who were, who were present there marveled at these things. They were marveling at it. What do these things mean, perhaps, to say? In verse 19, Mary pondered these things in her heart. She treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary was careful to treasure all these things. She took all of these signs, all of this evidence, everything that had happened to her, and was thinking about them, considering them, applying them to her own life perhaps, wondering what this meant for her and how she should exercise her faith. And we We see in Mary, in simple Mary, a relationship between truth and faith. And we see the invitation as Luke beckons Theophilus and you to treasure these things in your heart. Are you treasuring these things in your heart? Considering them, thinking about that child born in that manger and what it means to you. You can know that you are treasuring them rightly if you respond the way the shepherds did. Verse 20, they went out worshiping, glorifying, magnifying the Lord. You and I know that we have sincerely trusted in God's revelation when it results in worship. Zechariah worshiped, Mary worshiped. The shepherds are now worshiping. The angels worshiped. And he invites you to worship as well. As we take all of this in, I want you to notice one simple thing from the text. Go back with me to verse 9. As we reflect on the nature of Christ's incarnation, how are we, how are we to think about everything that has taken place? And, and with a few swift flicks of his pen, Luke has taught you some very important aspects of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. 
Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord was manifested to these shepherds. Verses 11 to 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And in verse 15, notice that the shepherds rightly realized that the Lord had made all of these things known to them. At the same moment that the divine Christ, the eternal Son of God, was incarnate and united to and in that child in the manger, that same divine power could be manifested to those shepherds on a hillside. And at the same moment that He was united to that very human a helpless infant child, he could by his divine power command his angels to go and make a revelation of his own birth to these shepherds. This is how we understand the deity and the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That baby could not contain the divinity. Neither could it exist apart from the divine Christ. And this is the message that we have in this simple passage. He is at the same time incarnate in that child so that He can be called the Son of God, the Savior of God's people, and God Himself. And yet, His divinity can be sustaining the whole universe. The universe is both in Him and apart from Him. He is in the child and yet at every moment giving the child life. This is the glory of the incarnation. You have not conceived of Him if you only conceive of Him as a little baby waddling around in that manger. He is at the same time helpless as a babe and as full of power as the eternal triune God. At His birth, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, manifested His glory. He gave a sign to His people. And He revealed the good news of the Gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ took on human form. A body, a soul, a will all in one person to give hope and joy and comfort to you. We demonstrate that we treasure this news in our own hearts when we learn to trust Him by trusting Him enough to do simple things like raising children and teaching them the truth. May He bless us all as we, like Mary, ponder these things anew this day. Amen. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, as we ponder these things, like Mary, we, we certainly have to admit that this is beyond the limit of the human intellect. To, to understand, to wrap our minds around how the divine nature could be joined to the human nature. How there could be two natures in one person. 
One existing from all time, the eternal Son of God, the One who brought forth light out of darkness, who formed cows and horses and people and sustains them and governs them. How that One, retaining all of His divine power, could be joined to a little helpless infant who had to be swaddled and nursed. How this one could be our Savior is beyond the human intellect. Yet, Father, we receive it by faith and ask, O oh Lord, that where we doubt, You would strengthen us and that where we find ourselves hopeless, you would bolster us by reminding us that you are our great shepherd, the one who delights to seek out the ones who are wandering, to bring us back. You delight to take us up in your arms in our weakness and our moments where we recognize the, the totality of our helplessness, that we have nothing apart from us, that you look down upon us and you sing over us. Oh Lord, as we contemplate the incarnation, as we gather with our families and rejoice around Christmas trees and fine feasts, Lord, would we rejoice and worship in fullness in the incarnate Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.